listening to the Week Ahead podcast from Strong Towns, hosted by me, Rachel Quedno. This is your chance to catch up on the latest events and goings-on behind the scenes of the Strong Towns organization. Tune in every Monday for more updates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Week Ahead podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, and my guest today is Strong Towns member and contributor, Sarah Kobos, who lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sarah, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Hey, Rachel. Thank you so much. Um, so can you take like 30 seconds to just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've been involved in Strong Towns and what you've been up to lately? Maybe that's closer <laughs> to 60 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds, yes. Go. Um, well, so I'm, you know, the, the blog I originally started writing was Accidental Urbanist, which kind of explains how I fell into this passion for uh, how cities grow and develop and why they are the way they are and how we can make them better. Uh, because I grew up in, you know, 1950s suburbs and, uh, you know, very leave it to beaver. And then I lived, uh, when I was in college, I spent a summer in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. And it was just like transformative. It was like, oh my God, you can walk everywhere you need to go. You don't need a car. Everything's beautiful. It's a joy to be out on foot. And I think that really started my move in this direction. And after that, any time I would look for housing, I would just go to the oldest part of town and basically drive around until I found a place I could rent or live in and so that I could always have that freedom of being on, on foot. And so I think that that was kind of the impetus for it. And then the more I got involved and, you know, I started attending conferences like CNU and stuff like that, and I started learning like the vocabulary to talk about it. And, um, and that, that kind of, you know, combined with a, with a writing background was the idea that, you know, people are interested in the stuff if you can explain it in a way that's uh, kind of down to earth and helps them see how really dry kind of regulations and, and the formal documents that the city runs by, when people can see how that impacts their daily, daily life, they get all excited about it. So I think, um, I think that's where I came into this, and um, Chuck liked some stuff that I had written, and so next thing you know, I was writing for Strong Towns, which is kind of surreal. And I wanted to talk exactly about that, so that's a good segue, because um, you've been writing for the last couple years now, and I've noticed that um, recently, I think your stuff has gotten um, a little bit more technical and, you know, you've written most recently about, like, zoning issues and subdivision regulations, um, really, like, getting down to the nitty-gritty. But, like you mentioned, you aren't a planner or engineer by trade. How have you kind of, like, built up your knowledge base in that regard and taught yourself these these issues and been involved in them in your city? Yeah, um, you know, several years ago, Tulsa... Um, decided to update the comprehensive plan. It was, uh, you know, last updated, uh, you know, fully back, back in the 70s, uh, which was really a terrible time to formalize any of your thoughts on city building. Uh, and, uh, and at the time, I was, uh, I had gotten involved in, in a, you know, some just citizen activist neighborhood type stuff. And the mayor was really good about including people from all walks of life to make sure that folks really got a voice in, in that, um, that opportunity to kind of shape the vision document for the city. 
and of course, in, in, in through being like a member of like the citizens oversight group of that, it was just like month after month of getting to hear presentations by, you know, city city planners as well as like the consultant was you know John Craig Nessie from Portland, and then we, they'd bring in like economists to talk about how land use in, impacts your your city's economy, and it was just like a, like a oh it was almost it was more than a year it might have been like a two year process. Of, of this, like, just getting educated, and the more I learned, the more passionate I got. And, of course, then, you know, it's like, well, now you have a new conference plan, now you need to update your zoning code. Well, then I kind of dove into researching that. Uh, and, you know, in talking about the zoning code, you know, you'd have conversations with people who truly were experts, and they'd be like, okay, how come we can't have alleys? Why do we have to put all the ugly stuff in front? And they're like, oh, well, that's the subdivision regulations. And I'm like, what on earth is that? Like, yeah. you'd think, like, after years of being involved in this stuff that you would know all the things. But as it turns out, it, it's like everything you learn, there's always a deeper you, – you keep peeling the onion back. And you're like, okay, there's a vision document. Okay, there's a, you know, there's, there's a zoning code. Oh, now there's this thing called subdivision regulations. Oh, now there's this thing called the major streets and highway plan. And, Oh, now they're engineering standards that influence how, you know, how your how your streets are designed. Oh, now there's the the fire code, yeah. you know, and and it's just one surprise after another, and you really understand why average citizens just are like, yeah, I got to get my kids to little league. I don't, I don't have time for that. Like, I'd, I'd love to live somewhere great, but you guys figure it out. <laughs> and and then what happens is the only people who participate are like the industry people who are being regulated by these documents and of course they have the time and the energy and the knowledge and they're getting paid (laughs) and and they're getting paid yeah the rest of us are like losing money every time we show up to a meeting during the daytime and uh and so a a lot of times the the regulating documents don't end up reflecting what average citizens actually would like um sometimes because people maybe haven't been exposed to other options that they can't even envision other cases people traveled and they've seen places and they're like, yeah, I want that. But they just don't have the time or the inclination to figure out how to plug in. And so I think one of my goals for getting a little more technical lately uh, was just to give some normal people some ideas of some things like, hey, get some people together and start talking about this because it's not rocket science um, and it's, it's something that if you just kind of get involved, you can start understanding it a little bit and, and then have a voice. Yeah, I've found your writing to be a very good way to learn about these issues from a non-professional engineer, planner, or elected official perspective. So I really appreciate that. Have you had any specific ways lately that you've gotten involved in these issues in Tulsa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they get, I think they get tired of seeing me at the, at the planning meetings and stuff. Um, <laughs> You know, one thing that we've done in Tulsa that has it's taken a while to kind of um, you know, ferment, I don't know, that's not the right word. Um, some years ago, um, Tulsa started a bicycle pedestrian advisory committee. And the thing that was really different about this from my perspective was it was not just citizens who cared, um, but it also brought in some of the government officials so, like, there's a monthly meeting, and we've got, you know, a representative from the mayor's office comes, and people from the planning department come, and people from the street engineering department come, and people from the local 
uh, COGS, in our case is NCOG, uh, Indian Nations Council of Governments, which is another kind of planning authority. Um, and you get all these people in the room, and so you're not just like Susie Citizen, like spouting off in total ignorance. You can like brainstorm, and people will be like, oh, well, there's actually, you know, here's this thing that you don't understand. And you're like, okay, now how can we change that? Well, you know. And I think over time, uh, that group is finally, you know, after it's taken a few years maybe, but I think we're starting to get a voice that, um, for one, you build the relationships kind of within the city as well as, you know, the activists. And then you also, as people get to know you over time, they're like, yeah, they're not just crazy radicals. These are just, you know, like logical, rational people with a valid point of view. And, and I think we all kind of get on the same page in a way that, um, I see that kind of as a model that could be used in a bigger sense uh, in a really productive way. Uh, about a year ago, you wrote about um, purchasing a property in uh, near downtown Tulsa, and you were kind of fixing it up to be a rental. How has that gone? Is it being rented out yet? Yeah, well, um, I tell people if, if they made a TV show about my... Um, my property every week it would be like, wait, it kind of looks the same as it did last time. Like what's wrong <laughs> with the first? Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm still doing the world's slowest uh, renovation. Um, and part of that is right now I had to actually go back to working to earn more money to keep doing it. So right now it's kind of uh, dormant. Um, yeah, but I have, you, know, you know, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> my goal is still, uh, fix it up and um, and rent it out. The you know I've learned a few things along the way. You know it's funny. There, one thing people will tell you is um, I think actually true. They're like, don't try to do it all yourself. Pay people, get it done, and then start renting it out, right? Because there's an opportunity cost to your time, and and to the you know the amount of time that you're not renting it out is time you could have had income. And those people are absolutely right. Okay. <laughs> and the problem is that I am uh, a perfectionist and I also really like learning this stuff. So um, I'm incredibly slow, but I kind of hate to give it up. I could pay someone and we'd be done very quickly, but then I wouldn't get that, that experience that, that I really enjoy. Um, the other thing people will tell you, and this one's false, everybody you talk to will be like, oh, you, know, you go get an estimate for something and you tell your friends. And they're like, oh, don't worry, I've got a guy. He'll do it for <laughs> half that much. Promise, you know, and then you call their guy, and now their their guy is the same price as as your estimate. So yeah, I've chased down a, a lot of estimates where people are like, oh my guy, and so um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot to be said for a reference uh, for someone who does quality work, but just don't expect you're going to get a bargain because uh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> if you, especially if you're on your first property, I think once you build up, there are people who have you know four or five properties probably do get a discount. Uh, but, but you and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing I've learned. Have um, you found good people to help you learn these renovation techniques um, or YouTube or how are you teaching yourself? Oh, it's a, it's a combination. So I, and I grew up, um, you know, I was, I was the kid in my family who grew up, you know, being crawling under the car with my father okay, and yeah. things. So my, my brother was a bookworm and I was the, I was like the handyman kid. So, um, and, you know, and my, my parents were of that generation where you did the work yourself. Um, and so I was able to learn a lot just growing up in the family I grew up in. Uh, I will say YouTube is amazing. And I, I'm, I'm just, 
shocked at how, like, there's almost no topics that you can't Google. And then some guy in, you know, Alabama, who's like a mechanical genius, has made a YouTube video of how to do this thing. And I, and I find that really uh, incredibly helpful. Um, the only downside is if you're getting into something that's kind of like, you're trying to be really precise in, in like, you know, one thing that people, you can get into, like, historic mortar is different than modern, you know, modern-day mortar, and you can't mix the two and all this stuff, and then you get into all these arguments about what's best, and, um, yeah. you know, sometimes it's, you know, like that one may not, actually, that one there is sort of an opinion on, uh, which is Portland cement is modern and old line mortar is correct and all that, but, like, you know, what's the right backer board for putting up bathroom tile? That one, you can spend the rest of your life um, with different opinions about that. Wow. So, yeah, I don't, it's sort of a mix. And then I've got some friends with some dads who are, because uh, my, my father passed away, you know, years ago. Um, so, you know, guys with dads who are super handy, that's, that's a lovely, that's a lovely relationship to have. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a mixture. Yeah, someday, hopefully, you know, in another 20 years or so, we'll be like, hey, she finally finished that. You know, good for her. The, uh, I, was, I was scraping on one corner of the house, of, you know, diligently scraping paint um, far beyond any professional painter would do. And the neighbors all came over and they're like, okay, you're still in the same spot. What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, like, yeah, uh, I'm being meticulous, you know. <laughs> But it was pretty funny to get a contingent of, you know, the local neighbors and possibly a couple drug dealers coming over and being like, hey, what are you doing? You're driving us crazy. Well, good luck with it. It's an admirable project. So for our listeners, I wanted to mention a couple events that we have coming up tomorrow in Thomasville, Georgia. Chuck Marone is giving a public presentation about how to focus on small neighborhood projects in order to make your city more financially strong. Um, That's at 6 p.m. at the Thomas County Public Library. If you happen to be in the area, come on over. Uh, Then next Monday, March 5th, Chuck is speaking in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, as part of a couple different events hosted by downtown Sioux Falls. So if you're in that area... Check it out. Um, I'll link the information in our show notes. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, Sarah, is have you been reading or watching or listening to anything interesting lately? So I assume that doesn't mean Downton Abbey, which I finally started and I'm completely interested. <laughs> oh, whoa, you're behind the times. But you have a nice <laughs> well, block of seasons to <laughs> catch up on. I finally caught up on Game of Thrones, so I'm an official U.S. citizen now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the, the book I've been reading that is making my hair catch on fire is called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's something that I had gotten interested in some years ago just by reading, like, an article in The Atlantic. <laughs> and um, anyway, it's basically about all of the ways in which uh, systematic racism at every level of government policy created a segregated America. And, and as you learn more and more details, it's astonishing what we grew up not understanding about why certain neighborhoods are thriving and well-off and certain neighborhoods aren't. And, you know, it, it all goes back to even like the Depression, where before that, if you wanted to buy a home or build a home, you know, you would, you would go to your bank and, and get a, a loan where I think you had to pay like 50% down and 
um, you would pay interest only and you had to pay it off in five years. So normal people just couldn't do that. So during the Depression, they're like, oh, well, let's, let's help people. Let's, you know, create these various authorities and create these various policies. And so they allowed for, um, you know, federally insured mortgages as well as uh, different different groups offering, you know, so there's like the FHA um, would would offer you a loan for you at a you know, very affordable rates, and you earn interest, or you pay interest as well as principal. You, you're earning equity while you're paying this off, but oh, guess what? It's only offered to white people, <laughs> and that they they won't insure a loan in a neighborhood that they have, you know, gone on a map and identified as a black neighborhood, and. And it goes on from there. You think, like, that's bad enough that you just keep learning more and more and more things, and it gets down to, like, local zoning codes. And, you know, strong towns, I think, were always like, what's with the separation of uses? Like, the dumbest thing we ever did was to say, you're going to live in a single-family home over here, but you're going to shop over here, which, you know, makes it really awkward for people who want to walk and bike and use land more efficiently. And then you realize that a lot of that goes back to um, racist policies where they knew, okay, black people aren't going to be able to buy a home in the suburbs. Um, so we're going to zone this area for single-family housing on larger lots. We're going to zone this area for, you know, apartment buildings. You can live in an apartment, you know, or we're going to take your neighborhood that was mixed race and we're going to now make it industrial, you know. So a lot of a lot of the things that, I thought early zoning was all about getting away from factories, you know, and disturbing public uses. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And and so I'm, it's, it's a book that I could talk about for the next two hours, and I, I won't kill everyone with that. But, uh, again, if you're all, at all interested in how cities developed and became what they are, this book answers a lot of questions. The answers are really uncomfortable, <laughs> but, um, but things we should understand. Yeah, I agree. I have read most of it. I didn't quite finish it, but um, yeah, I, I also found it very enlightening and just breaks down like every aspect of the way our cities and specifically housing has developed and shows just how terrible the history and present day impacts are. Um, so, yeah, I think it's yeah. a really important book. I agree. I think like the, uh, you know, when they start talking about when they start building the post-war suburbs, that was the first time that developers, I guess, would go out and get like a loan for the full value of the suburb they haven't built. And then they're going to build it out. But again, guess who can't live there? Guess who can? And, you know, so white people move into this really like heavily subsidized, affordable, single-family homes. And that you know, grows in value over generations and they pass down that money to their children. And then the people who were uh, not allowed to participate in that, you know, they weren't able to get their VA loan that they deserved. They weren't allowed to get their FHA loan that they should have had. They don't get to build that wealth over generations. And I think that's another important thing. Uh, You know, I think one of the, one of the tests that you're privileged is when you don't realize how privileged you are. And this is another, (laughs) Uh, this book will help you understand how privileged you were in a lot of really crappy ways that should never have happened. Thanks so much, Sarah, for being on the podcast and for your fantastic writing on our website. Yours are always some of my favorite pieces I get to read each month. So thanks for all oh, that you do for Strong Towns. You're very sweet. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's an honor to get to participate in this conversation. Thanks. 
We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.